Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will speak from the book of Isaiah on comforting God's people. Today's message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Turn with me to Isaiah 43, if you would, please. Isaiah 43, wonderful passage that speaks about the future for Israel, the past of Israel, the future for Israel, and also has application to us. And the key verse here, if you turn there to Isaiah 43, verses I'm going to read, although we're going to be covering much of the chapter, Lord willing, is in starting in verse 18. Remember ye not the former things, the Lord says, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I have given, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. That's a wonderful, wonderful words from, from the Lord himself. You know, um, some time ago, there was a newspaper reported a suicide that a that a um, a girl had taken her life, and the uh, she was an eighteen year old girl, and before she took her life, she left this note, and she said she said this, very short. It said, "I made an agreement with God that unless life was worth living, I would quit living," and then she killed herself. Now, here was a young lady who yearned to have a life that was worth living in terms of of fulfillment, and and yet her life was empty, it was unsatisfying, and eventually it was destructive. You know people like that? That was what the Bible, that's, that's not the Bible's description of the life that God has for us, but Israel was in that condition during a time in their history when, they're under, when they were under the Babylonian captivity, and that's the context we're reading about here in Isaiah. By his statement, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Behold, I'll do a new thing, a new thing, and now it shall spring forth. So let's have a close look at this chapter. You start off in verse 1, and it says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. What does he say about them? He says, They were created and they were formed for him. If you want to write this down, Jeremiah 18.6 says, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as a potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as a potter, as the clay in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. You know, we all, we all put together things that we like. And, and we have a just, I'm, for me, it's my desk. I really make a big deal over my desk. You wouldn't believe it if you saw it, but it doesn't matter. But you look at my desk, you know, I look at my desk, and I say, well, you know, The pencils have got to be right over here, and the stapler's got to be here, and the phone's got to be here, and the mouse pad's here, and I can't tell you how many how many uh, versions of of monitors I've gotten. They have to go up and down and tilt and get low, and you want and all that sort of stuff. But when you get finished with the whole thing, then I say to myself, "Now, that's my desk. That's that. I formed it for myself." Maybe nobody else likes it. You probably come there and say, that's messy. No, no, no. It's my desk. It's just the way I want it. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did with Israel. He formed them for himself so that he can look on them and he say, now that's exactly what I want in in, in a raw material. And so he says he created them. 
And then he says, I have redeemed them. What does it say in Hebrews 9.12? Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in to the holiest of all, to the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It says in Revelation 1.5 that he, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins. What a phrase. In his own blood. In his own blood. That's a phrase, isn't it? Can you imagine yourself standing before heaven, standing before God, and you stand there and you say just those words, in his own blood. I'm washed from my sins in his own blood. That's what he is to us. And then he says to, his, he says to Israel, he says, I've called thee by thy name. Each one of us here are individuals. Some of us are real characters. Why? Because as I look out on you uh, today, I don't see any two of you that look the same. That may be a good thing. But uh, <laughs> because, and why is it? Because we all look different. And we all think different. And we all are different. What does that tell about the Lord Jesus Christ? It tells he loves variety. He loves variety. He's not a Xerox machine. He doesn't stamp out copies, but he loves variety. And he loves, he created each person differently because he wants to see how that person's going to express praise to him in their own way. How they're going to be very, very careful about criticizing another Christian. Very careful. Because that was the handwork of God. And he loves the individuality of that person. And so he's not, he, he's not a like, it's my way or it's the highway. God says, God loves the individual. And he says he calls them by name. He calls by name. That's what he said when he came in, in John 10. And he said to the people, he said, believe ye not that, that, that because you are not my sheep. He told the people who were listening to him, who were rejecting him, the religious leaders at that time. He says, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep, the characteristic of my sheep is that they hear my voice. They hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give it to them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no man's able to pluck them out of my hand. And then earlier in the chapter, he was speaking about the sheep and and the shepherd, and he said, "The the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name individually by name and leadeth them out that's a that's a marvelous thing he know he not only knows our name he calls us by our name each one individually that's the lord and so he says that about israel as well as a matter of fact whenever whenever you, you speak to someone i hope you have this practice uh, for example a, a lost for any person and you and, and let's say they're in a group like maybe they're part of the orthodox like ed was mentioning here orthodox jews The goal of the encounter is to take that person out of the place of being, oh, you're just one of them. In other words, part of a group. And if you're successful in your relationship with the person, you won't see them as one of them, as a group. You will see that person for the individual. Why? That's how God sees that person as the individual. So when you ask questions in a relationship and where are you from and, and so forth like that and how many 
the siblings do you have? What you're doing is you're building a picture in the back of your mind so that that person has now been taken out of a group and that person is special to you and you know that person by name, you know their individual. Why? That's how God sees people. And we want to see people as God does as well. Then he says to Israel, he says in verse, verse 2, he says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. What a promise. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, they sh thou shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So he didn't say, if you pass through the waters, or if you go through the waters. He says, you are going to go through the waters. You are going to go through the fire. It's just a matter of when. But the marvelous thing, so that, that, that makes that, that make anybody afraid, right? The waters and fire. Well, he says, don't be afraid because I will be with thee. I will be with thee. That's a great promise. What's that mean, I will be with thee? What's that mean when we call him Emmanuel? Does that mean that he's standing over here on the side of us? And Are you still here? No, no. Is that what it means? Well, what it means is that he says, that, that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. What that means, what he was saying there when he says, I will be with thee, he says, I will, I will be inside of you by my spirit. I will fill you with my spirit. That's what he's talking about. F filled with the spirit. Because there are three in the Godhead. The Shema, which is the most famous fa uh, prayer in, in, among the Jewish people, is really true in Deuteronomy 6.4. Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so, and that word Lord is Elohim. That's a plural word. So who are the members of this Godhead? There's the, there's the Abba Elohim, the Fa, uh, God the Father. There's the Ben Elohim, God the Son. There's the Ruach Elohim, God the Spirit. That's them. God the Father, God the, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He's talking about, and they're all one, so he's talking about the, the God the Spirit being inside of you when he says, I'll be with you. That's what he told Israel, and he said that. That's very, very important. In fact, Moses recognized how important this is. And he said, when, when God was calling him to go and to, to, to bring Israel out of Egypt, that great momentous day, time when when God's people were led out of Egypt by a man Moses and he said I will be with you Moses I will be in you I will be the spirit of God inside of you Moses and therefore we're going to do this together is what he was saying and so then later on in life Moses realized how essentially valuable that was and so what he said in Exodus 33, 15, is he said, now, you know, we're going to go here. And Moses said this. He said, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. He said, I don't want to go there alone. He said, I don't want to go anywhere alone. But if you go with me, then okay, we'll go together. That was a principle that Moses learned. Very, very important. Now notice in verse 3 it says, For I am, thy, I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. You know, he says, thy God, your God. He didn't have to say that. God did not have to. God could have just said, I am God. But he didn't have to say that. He said, I am the Lord, thy God, your God. That was really putting God, let's say, in a place of vulnerability because he was identifying with the people of Israel. 
And later on in the chapter, we're going to see that, that that was not a pleasant thing sometimes for God to be identified with the people of Israel. But he chose to do this. And he said, I'm your God. How amazing. And then he says, I'm the Holy One of Israel. He didn't have to say that either. He could have just said, I'm the Holy One. And so uh, that was an amazing thing that God chose to do that. And then he said, your Savior, thy Savior, that's our God. He's chosen. Could we go up to heaven and pull God down? No, the Bible says. Could we go down to the depths and pull him up? No. Why? Because he chosen his own to come here and to say these things about himself and to be thy, thy Savior and the Holy One of Israel and thy God. So he goes on and he says in verse 3, he says, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethia and Seba for thee. Why? Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. What's he talking about? What's God talking about here? Can you imagine the scene when Miriam and the, and the, and the children of Israel are standing on the other side of the Red Sea? They started off on one side of the Red Sea, and that one is that they, they were stomping their feet and having a real problem, and, and Moses, Moses said to them, stand still and see the salvation of God. Here is this great obstacle that was in front of them, the Red Sea, and God told them, hold out his rod, and the Red Sea parted, and they went across on dry land, and then the Egyptians followed them, and, and God went into the auto mechanic business and took off their chariot wheels, and that was something. But when they were back on the other side of the Red Sea, and they were looking at the water sort of lapping up against the shore there, what did they see? Dead bodies. Dead bodies just washing up there. And Muriel, Miriam took, uh, no, Muriel, you didn't take, Muriel didn't take it, but Miriam took it. <laughs> Miriam took the timbrel and she started to, to uh, sing a song and teach us great theology in that song about the mightiness of God. But they were standing there and they were watching, here's this na- the, the, the best of the nation of Egypt, dead, washing up on the shore. And here's Israel. And can you imagine they might have said to themselves, wow. Are we better than them? How come they're dead in the water, washing up, and we're standing here alive? Because God said, I gave Egypt for thy ransom. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. He he says, since thou was precious in my sight, you've been honorable. He said, I have loved you, and I gave men for thee. He paid the ransom. You know, we have a friend who's, um, who's, who's heading up our Jewish work down in Mexico City, Pastor Wynn, and we always joke with him. Be, well, it's not really a joke. The kidnapping is a real serious thing down in Mexico. And uh, because he is a pastor of, of a church of 5,000, he's a targeted man. And some of his in-laws, his son-in-laws, have actually been uh, threatened. And one of them was actually kidnapped, but he escaped. But anyway, so I always tell Kevin, I says, you know, if you're kidnapped... We'll give $15,393.70 for your ransom. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, uh, but with God, he didn't say we're going to give 15300 He didn't say that. He said, no price is too great for you. No price is too great. On the banks of the, the Red Sea, they saw that. No price is too great. Does that not remind you of some time when God, when, when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was a great price. And the word that's used there when it said, if you, if, you, if, you, if, you was, if you could read it in the Hebrew, which we only have the Greek, but if you read it in the Hebrew, well, the Hebrew translation of that by Dillich says, he gave his yehid, 
his only one, his just his sole one, not the Echad, like we just heard in the Shema, which is describing the Godhead of three being one. It was the Yahid, it was, it was your only son. That's the same word when, when Abraham was walking up the hill, with, with, uh, when Abraham was being asked by God to give his son Isaac, and he said, your only son whom you love, your Yahid, you only have one. And that was the cost that God gave his only son, just had one, for us, for as a ransom here. He says this about, why? Because he said, I have loved thee. That's the explanation. That's it. In fact, he goes, and then he says in verse, verse 5, he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Second time, God, does not, God is not stuttering. God doesn't stutter. God doesn't say, well, you know, we, only, we, have, we have to fill up this Bible. We have too much white space on the page, so I'll just say it again. He doesn't do that. He says, it, he says things two times and more to emphasize. So he says, I'll be with you. I will be inside of you. My spirit will be inside of you. And I'll bring thy seed from the east and from, gather them from the west. And so verse 6, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the end of the earth. And he says, even everyone that is called by the, my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. This passage here in Isaiah 43 is for, for those who want to bring the gospel, really to anybody, but especially to the Jewish people. Why? Because Jewish evangelism is difficult. It's not easy. That's why he starts off in verse 5 by saying, fear not. Why? Because there's something to be afraid of. And God says, fear not. Don't be afraid of that. Now, he says, what's the territory? What's the territory? The east, the west, the north, the south. The whole world. The whole world is the territory. And he says to them, and, and, and what are we doing in prayer as we seek to, to bring the gospel to the Jewish people? We're saying to the north, give them up. Give them up. Don't hold them anymore. Keep, and to the south, keep not back. Keep not back. In other words, these people have been created for God's glory. And when they're in the captivity of Satan, he has stolen them. He has, he, they're not his, but he has stolen them. And so he says, there will be a success. There will be a success. You might say, well, is three a success? Yes, that's a success. Great success in God's. How can you put the value on one? A great success. And he says, why? In verse 5, I am with you. I am with you. I am with thee. And again, as we said, because evangelism is not something that you do alone. You do that together with the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to be a good evangelist carrying the gospel to others, then you have to be sensitive to your partner, to the Holy Spirit. It's just like when, 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 when uh, in tennis, and you see two people, you, you, when they play doubles, and so on the side there you have a partner, and you can always tell the people that are good at playing doubles, they're sensitive to each other. And so, for example, the ball will come over and, 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 uh, and, the, and the sensitive player will say, your ball, or let it go and let the other person get it. And the person who's not very good at doubles is up there at the net and he's just making a fool out of himself trying to get every single ball that comes in. And the person in the back is, is, is saying, well, can I play too? Uh, you know, it's like, remember me? You know, so sometimes we do that. 
Because we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so when he says, I am with thee, that's very, very important to, re- to, to keep that in mind. Now, who are we going after? Who are we going after when we seek the salvation of the Jews? That we're going after the ones who God calls my sons and my daughters. That's how he calls them. My sons and my daughters. The son of man, in Luke 10, uh, 19.10, the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Lord lost them. They were his. They are his. And he lost them. You know what evangelism is? Evangelism is one of the most, most loving things that you as a Christian can do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He calls them here his sons and his daughters, right? They're his. He formed them. He created them. They couldn't be more his. He couldn't describe more language here than they're his. So you get to heaven, and you've come in contact with some of his lost ones. And you get to heaven, and you say to him, oh, I saw you lost that person. Yeah, how'd you know? Well, I came in contact with him. Well, did you? Did you? Okay, or another scenario. You come and you get to heaven. You've, you've gotten people saved, his lost ones saved, brought back to him. You tell him, wait around the corner. And you go up to the Lord and you say, I know you lost something. And then he says, and then you go through all the drama you can and you bring him out. And you know what the Lord's going to tell you? He says, you're my friend because you went after what I lost. It hurt me. They were my lost. And you went after and you brought him. That's what evangelism is. It's not a duty like, you know, okay, we're going to have an evangelism class and, and, and people are going to show up here and we're going to teach them how to say, if you died today, can you know you're going to 100%, you're going to heaven, or, or uh, let me do a survey and ask you certain questions. No, 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 no. Evangelism is looking on an individual as an individual, which they are, as created and formed by God, which they are, and saying, my heavenly Father, my precious Lord Jesus Christ, lost that person. I love him so much, I'm going to go after him. I'm going to bring him back to him because I want to see his face. When I come up and say, I got what you lost. I found what you lost. Tom, you brought out in today's teaching about the unbelieving attitude of Miriam and the children of Israel on the Egyptian side of the Red Sea and then the change in their attitude on the safe side of the Red Sea. Can you speak more about the contrasting attitudes between Miriam and Moses? Yes, it's very interesting when you look at Miriam and Moses, because here they are, brother and sister. I mean, they're closely related. They're kin, but their attitudes are very, very different. And when you look at them on the the side of the Red Sea before it was parted, Miriam really represented the people. I mean, Miriam was, uh, w- 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 didn't have the best of attitude, and the people didn't have the best of attitude. Why not? Because they were jumping up and down, because they were trying to do something. And, you know, this will always bring a bad attitude. Whenever we jump into it and say, God, uh, will you please step aside and let me handle it? I can handle this, God. And that was the attitude of Miriam. And it was so bad that Moses had to say to the people, stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of God. Now, that wasn't easy. It's never easy for us to tell, to tell the, 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 the ego within us, the, the I want to do it, the I will do it, that I, the I can handle it part inside of us that we should at ease, take the back seat, and let 
Let us watch what God's going to do. See, but that's what Moses told them to do. And fortunately, they did. And as they did that, then they saw God do the impossible. They saw God do what they never could have done. I don't know. Maybe they were sitting there thinking to themselves, well, now how are we going to fight against these Egyptians that are coming after us with chariots and horses and spears and so forth? It was all wasted effort. And Moses said to them, God did not bring you out here to kill you. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. He said, the Egyptians whom you fear, you won't see them anymore today. And when they stood still, then God parted the sea. Then when they got to the other side of the sea, and, and, and the sea at that time had closed in and killed all of their enemies, all the Egyptians, Then Miriam took up the timbrel and she sang the song about how the Lord had destroyed the horsemen and the horse that came across that tried to kill them. I mean, there she was standing on the bank. The the bodies of the Egyptians are washing up. You can picture the scene. You can hear the lapping of the water. You can see the men with their armor and and everything. They're, They're being washed up with each lap on the shore. And Miriam says, God did this. So Miriam there represents the converted person, the person who learned the lesson. Oh, that we might follow Moses, and if we haven't, that we might go in the steps of Miriam and change. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as Tom continues from the book of Isaiah. If you'd like to learn more about Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministries, visit friendshipwithgod.org. There you'll find more resources to help you with your friendship with God. Call us also at 1-800-247-3051 and we can give you a copy of today's broadcast. You can also find us on Facebook and you can also contact Tom Cantor by sending an email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time.